Hi folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on the award-winning Fat-Burning Man Show, where we talk about real food and real results. Fun fact of the day from my in-progress book, The Wild Diet, hunter-gatherers in the Australian outback today live on over 800 varieties of plant foods. Modern Americans live principally on three, corn, soy, and wheat. So I actually am totally gassed right now, but I figured I'd check in with you guys. Since this show is coming out this week, I've got some kava here to calm me down a little bit. But I just finished up a photo shoot with Penguin, uh, the folks from Avery who are doing my new book, The Wild Diet. And uh, there are so many exciting things coming your way. But even more important than all of that, I have something to share with you guys. And you may have already heard about this on social media or newsletter or whatever. A few days ago, I picked a bouquet of wildflowers from the trails behind my house over there, walked Allison and the dog down to one of our favorite spots in the woods, got down on one knee and proposed to the love of my life. And she said yes. So it's on. Totally stoked. Thank you so much for uh, all of the positive comments and feedback from you guys. Uh, obviously, Allison has been on the show in the past and uh, will be again soon. She's uh, behind a lot of the recipes that we put together. We're planning on getting hitched next spring or summer of 2015, so we'll be sharing many a tasty treat in the meantime. If you guys would like to join in the celebratory fun at home, we'll be sharing those with you guys. So if you'd like some of our family recipes, a free cooking class, and a lot more goodies that are coming up, go to fatburningman.com and enter your email address and we'll make sure to get them right over to you. So once again, that's at fatburningman.com and make sure you're signed up for the newsletter so you don't miss out. Uh, by the way, a huge thank you to all of you guys who submitted a recipe for my upcoming book. Obviously, there are going to be lots of feasts in there. I have a whole section on fasting and feasting as well as holistic biohacking. And I've definitely been doing a lot of that in the past two days, doing some insulin hacking and spiking my blood sugar on purpose in preparation for the photo shoot. So I'm going to be sharing that experience with you guys. A lot more information about that is coming right up. But many of you did send recipes to be included in the community feast section of the book. So thank you so much for that. We'll be getting back to you guys soon. All right, so you might feel a certain affinity with this week's guest. Her name is Liz Wolf. So like most people who struggle with weight loss, Liz went from a thin, calorie-counting, miserable dieter to a happy and healthy, thoughtful omnivore who now raises her own food. Liz Wolf is a nutritional therapy practitioner, blogger, and author of Eat the Yolks. She's also a real food cook and amateur homesteader raising goats, chickens, and pigs. I think that's so awesome. Liz's message is very on point with mine, and it's simple and powerful. The message is to stop focusing on the numbers on the scale and start getting in touch with your food. It's to be aware of how food makes you feel instead of how many grams of fat it contains or whatever else might be on the food label, even if it's emblazoned with a lot of marketing spin and happy cows on pasture. Unless you've been to the farm, a lot of times there's no way to guarantee that. So getting in touch with your food is one of the main themes of this show. And I'm really excited to have Liz here to help share that with you guys. If dieting is making you miserable, as all diets do, then you're going to like this show. So in this episode, Liz and I chat about the danger of obsessing over vanity pounds, transitioning from urban life to raising your own food, a rant against the paleo police and diets in general, and much, much more. Let's go hang out with Liz. All 
All right, folks, I'm here with the wonderful Liz Wolf, and I actually have her new book right here as well. So I'm just going to go ahead and, and read your bio right here, or at least a piece of it. Liz Wolf is a nutritional therapy practitioner certified by the Nutritional Therapy Association who is passionate about dismantling widespread nutrition myths and discovering the truth about food. Uh, you're also, of course, the person behind the uh the very popular cavegirleats.com. And most importantly, you have chickens and goats and a dog <laughs> and an awesome husband. And uh, I would love, since I come from a similar world of just growing up with chickens all around and, and eating from the backyard, we're going to be talking a lot about that. But firstly, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Of course. So um, tell us a little bit about your new project, your, your, this book. I love the title, Eat the Yolks. It's something that um, you, we don't actually have to talk about on this show necessarily that specific thing, because I'm sure you've talked about it to death, and I have as well. But we can, <laughs> we can kind of hit on a bunch of the ancillary things around that. Your, your history with all of this is kind of interesting. How did you decide to firstly start Cave Girl Eats and kind of get into this whole world? Because you were really one of the first movers, at least in paleo. Oh, that is... That's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I started blogging. I started Cave Girl Eats a long time ago. And yeah. I feel like, you know, there are some real paleo OGs out there, right. like, you know, obviously Rob and Art Devaney and Norgid Gaudis and these people that have been doing this forever. But I was lucky enough, like six years ago, to train with a guy named Michael Rutherford, Coach Rutt from Bootcamp Fitness, Kansas City. He's a strength and conditioning coach, just amazing all-around guy. Yeah. And I really end up, I ended up going to him, you know, in this total old diet mindset where all I wanted to do was cut as many calories as possible, sure. um, get a recommendation for a good protein shake, and somehow in all of that not pass out halfway through the day because right. I was completely, you know, blood sugar, off the rails and all that. So what Rhett ended up doing was introducing me to the work of Rob Wolf, who yeah. was just then starting to kind of break out of CrossFit, do his own thing, talk about the paleo lifestyle. And of course, like I say in the book, you're nobody until you're putting your every thought on the internet. Right. So <laughs> of course I had to start a blog and just was talking about what I was eating, just the specifics of what I was eating on this crazy paleo plan. And yeah. over the years... Five years later now, you said, we'll talk about the goats and chickens and homesteading and all that. Mm -hmm. In the course of five years, I just went from being really concerned about physical appearance, but at the expense of health, mm -hmm. and then getting slowly more and more into the nutritive value of the food I was eating and everything from what I was putting on my body on the outside to what I was putting into my body to nourish it, I just got really consumed with this awesome, really tasty, really good food. Yeah. And, you know, the rest is history. But I just found that I was getting the same questions over and over. Like, well, okay, I get it. The paleo thing's cool. People seem to be really into it. But isn't animal protein bad for you? Right. And isn't cholesterol going to give me heart disease? And I just felt like, all right, well, if I'm answering these questions over and over, let's put it all in one place. Yeah. And Boom, a book is born. Nice. So <laughs> writing a book, I was talking about this with uh, with Denise and a few other people, how it's just like, if you want to completely wreck your health, then you should write a book, which is what I'm doing right now. It's, it's Exactly. <laughs> it's yes. ridiculous. Oh, it's, it's so funny because you think, you know, 
you know what you're getting into and you're going to, you know, partition out your sleeping and your writing and your stress relief and all these things. But it's kind of like a baby. Mm. The book comes however it's going to come. That's you right. You cannot always predict that or control it. And yes, if there's one way to wreck yourself, it's to it's to write a book. That's for sure. Yeah, but you've done a great job. It's, it's very... Uh entertaining and silly and simple, um, (laughs) or at least it brings simplicity to a lot of very complicated subjects where you can jump down any rabbit hole you want. But I I really like that you've um, covered off on not only the main points of what people should know, but also uh, it's it's a little bit bigger than that. You you communicate it in a way that is inclusive of being happy as opposed to the normal way that diet and, and fitness and health is talked about, which is all about misery and restriction. You, you've been through that. You know what that's oh, like. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to live that miserable, restricted way compared mm-hmm. to the way that you live now? Well, what's crazy about it is that you're on this like hamster wheel of calorie restriction and reading labels for carbs and soluble, insoluble fiber and, you know, all of these crazy things, but you're never actually thinking about how healthy is this making me, right? you know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting because you can change your body, but most people are trying to do that in a really unhealthy way right? and they're frustrated. And so for me, number one, it wasn't working and I wasn't happy. That was like, the end all be all is when I realized kind of turned around and looked back at these years of the last five years of eating really good nourishing food and enjoying Mm -hmm. my life. I was like, I would not trade anything for how happy I am now. And I can't quantify it, but just looking back and remembering, I mean, all right, look, I'm going to, a lot of people have done this and I'm going to admit to it. I used to make like inspiration boards of pictures cut out from magazines and words cut out from magazines, like basically as a symptom of like self-loathing, you know, Mm. like I I would make myself look at these pictures every day and that's my goal. That's what I should look like Brutal. when that was in no way what my body is naturally programmed to be. And that was miserable. It was terrible. And all along the way, I was dealing with really weird skin problems through college and after acne. I grew up with eczema and I never connected those things with the food I was eating. Mm -hmm. So this whole process of connecting all those dots has been phenomenal. And, and now I'm in a place where, all right, I feel like I get it like good food, happy, happy wife, happy life, you know, (laughs) all that good stuff. Yeah. Awesome. And and you talked about one of the things I found in the, in the book that was interesting, too, that's really been uh, I'm glad that it's gaining steam. I've talked about it a few times on, on this show, especially with women. But it's about those vanity pounds that seem to be absolutely critical for your health. So there is kind of this this set point where you're happy, healthy and uh, really thriving. And then if you go a little bit below that um, to that model type you know, body composition, which is different for everyone. You know, for some mm-hmm. people who are naturally very skinny, it might be even skinnier than that. For other people who yes. are, are built a bit differently, it might be, you know, just to the top range of what, you know, the skinniest people look like. But there is that that kind of threshold that that people pass. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because you're sacrificing a lot with those few vanity pounds. I agree with that. I think that's really well said. And I actually, I don't think I've ever heard it phrased that way. I have compassion for people who want to bring themselves to whatever 
their picture is in their head of full health. Mm -hmm. But I think over time, we have to learn and be patient with ourselves in this process, but learn that our body's expression of full health is not always what we want to see in the mirror. Yeah. The good news is over time, as you really just begin to love the the whole exploration of real food and feeling good, you start to love what you see in the mirror. Yeah. But for some people, that's a struggle. Right. And I don't look like, this isn't a story of, I used to have these Thinspiration boards and I wasn't healthy, but then I got healthy and now I look like my Thinspiration board. <laughs> right. It's not one of those things. And that's okay. You know, it really is. And you can't put a number on, on how, on feeling good, you know? So mm -hmm. it's like the scale and the measuring tape and, and the calipers and all this. It just doesn't always tell you how healthy you are. Sometimes it does, sure. but not always. And when you, when you really get to a point where you're healthy, but you continue to push yourself towards maybe losing more vanity pounds or weighing a certain amount at a certain time of day, you really not only kind of mentally mess yourself up, I yeah. think, but you also kind of lose the point of this whole journey. And that's, I want to be 80 years old and I want to be picking up giant bags of cat litter by myself yes. and walking them into the house. That's a coach rutism. You just want to be functional and happy your whole life and not preoccupied with things that maybe don't actually make you healthier or happier. Yeah. So how do you make that transition psychologically? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think for me, it was the process of engaging with my food. So I didn't okay. stop at, you know, for, for a minute there, I was kind of into the zone diet concept about mm -hmm. five years ago when right before I got into like the paleo real food thing. Yeah. Cause there was a lot of overlap then between like CrossFit yes. and paleo and zone, right? Yes. A, a ton of overlap and 40, 30, 30 and how much of this and how much of that. And then, you know, of course I'd, I'd done some low carbing and cyclic ketogenic stuff and all that. And in the end, I kind of still felt stuck. I, I, something was still missing. Like mm -hmm. I still didn't feel like I had what I wanted to have. And then somehow I just, you know, I think folks started talking about grass-fed beef, which was like the first I'd ever heard. I was like, grass-fed beef? I'm from Kansas. We feed beef corn. Yeah. We don't feed grass. <laughs> That's weird. So, you know, the first factory farms were in, in Kansas. And so I grew up thinking that that's where beef came from and learning that food produced naturally, you know, mm -hmm. vegetables grown in really rich, nutrient rich soil and animals raised in their natural environment. Learning about that, like, wow, there's so much more to my food than I ever thought. What makes it nutritious and, and this amazing like circle of life. And of course now like the Lion King song is in your head because I said circle <laughs> of life. But there's so much more to it. And learning about that was so fun and so cool. And it landed me on a farm in yeah. the middle of nowhere, you know, to try and raise and produce my own food. So I just, I brought more, more into my journey than I ever expected. Yeah. So I think that's, it just, I got a new focus. That's all. So it started with one thing and now it's pretty much your whole life. Yes. That's pretty yeah. cool. That's what it's happened to me so too. Cool. It's a total accident, but it's the best thing that ever happened to me. It's uh, yep. when you get, and it's interesting too, because it was the, um, in large part, the world that I came from, you know, it was small town, New Hampshire, chickens mm -hmm. running around everywhere and just like <laughs> eating out of the backyard and totally being into playing outside and, and all of that. And then, you know, life 
kind of, especially if you're type A personality, always chasing after whatever that next thing is, it's pretty easy to be taken away from that. And I found like the, the further that I went away from where I started, the more unhealthy and unhappy I became. And now it's just kind of like coming back to, yes. uh, to where you are as well, which is homesteading and like having the chickens and, and living that life. So <laughs> yeah, what is it like to make that transition from kind of the life that everyone else or, or at least a lot of people who are listening to the show are probably in right now, the more urban kind of sanitized lifestyle yeah. compared to going back to your roots and really, really making that mini farm yourself? Well, I always, I say like we put an asterisk next to homesteading because I'm like an amateur wannabe, right. really bad. Not but you don't talented. have to be good at it, right? Like you're going to be bad that's at true. first. You are going to be bad at first and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I've learned. But this is a really kind of rude awakening for me was I moved to farm country wanting to, you know, produce and raise my own food and all that. And it's crazy because in the urban environment that we were in before this, we were outside of Philadelphia in New Jersey, and we had access to like amazing farmer's markets 15 minutes away, grass-fed beef, you know, just over the state line um, in Pennsylvania, there's raw milk, you know, and we were kind of into that at the time. Yeah. And funny thing, we moved to farm country and all there is around us is bad food. Mm. It's insane. So we have to, you know, our first year's harvest did not go well. We were a little preoccupied with all of the other things sure. that, that happen out there. But so we didn't grow our own food that first spring. And it's an hour to the farmer's market wow. from where we are. And, and all around us, you know, it's the Safeway. And I swear every single thing at the Safeway has trans fats in it. And so we have this incredibly rich, fertile farm country that is kind of taken over by conventional agriculture, you know, people spraying pesticides. And luckily we're in like a place where we're not surrounded by that. I think yeah. we chose well, True. but a lot of the folks, like we go down to the farm store and, you know, people talk about their soybeans and how their soil is not doing well and all this stuff. And it's a lot of conventional agriculture. So it's really kind of ironic that when we were in mm. an urban environment, we had access to better food with less effort right. than now. But it's given me a whole new respect for how difficult it is to produce food in a way that's really in tune with the earth and how how it's naturally supposed to be produced. Yeah. And it's very yeah. difficult at the beginning. My brother's an organic <laughs> farmer and um, wow. it's been really interesting watching him. He's worked on a few farms and basically started them from from scratch. And uh, learning how to get a handle of all of that is, a, you can't take your eyes off the ball pretty much wow. ever, um, especially if you have animals, uh, which, which he does. And it's just, it, it's really interesting because like all of a sudden you can have an amazing harvest or at least right before that and then you get this huge scourge of bugs right that because it's organic you know you can't really do much about that unless you get really smart or plan way ahead but yeah. um you just get slapped in the face by that stuff if you don't know about it and you haven't been farming your whole life or you don't have you know a farming family that's that's really showing you the rope so i think it's yeah. really important that our generation especially starts to do what you're doing and kind of work out the kinks because there's that gap right it's, it's almost like yes. we lost a, uh, a generation or two 100%. of that knowledge where yeah. we used to be able to just kind of do this because we've been doing it forever and monkey see monkey do or at least if, yeah. if something goes wrong 
you would have that person around you who could kind of advise, say like, well, you got this scourge of bugs because you didn't do this thing in June or, or in February that would have prevented the whole thing from happening. So yeah. um, I, I think that the, the work that you're doing and the way that you're living your life is so cool and probably not very easy at all, but it will get easier, I'm sure. Oh, please, God, let it get easier. <laughs> please. Yeah, I completely agree. We have lost the accumulated wisdom of many generations of people that were doing this. It really was kind of appropriated by by corporations. Mm-hmm. You know, most of our food is grown and and shipped out through big conglomerates and it's really changed our food landscape, I think, and our health for the worse, which is pretty much what I mean, that's what Eat the Oaks is about entirely. I'm not, a, you know, paleo. I mean, I'm gung-ho paleo, but I'm more gung-ho real food and yeah. gung-ho get sure. rid of the processed junk yeah. um, because that has become our food supply. It's no longer the local farm, the local farmer who has mm-hmm. that wisdom passed down. It's what in this box or bag or package is low in calories and low in fat and, and whatever. Our food landscape has totally, totally changed. And it's yeah. made me realize how precious a resource food is. Mm-hmm. And we're very, very lucky to have the choices that we have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hold on a second. I made a notepad while I was going through your book of like fun little things that I wanted to talk about. And I realized Sweet. it fell off my desk. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it really is a, a super fun book. I had a great time just kind of curling up with it next to the fire. Thank you. You must have had fun writing it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let's talk. So you, you talked about ancient bread. I thought yeah. that was pretty cool because uh, a lot of people are just like, well, paleo is stupid because we've been eating bread for a really long time, um, which, yes. you know, to be fair, I, I don't want to make fun of those people, but it, it is kind of like a valid argument. But let's talk about that a little bit. Well, I feel like folks look at paleo as if it's kind of more of the same, right? Like paleo is just the next incarnation of Atkins or mm. Weight Watchers, like People, we are trained to think of food in terms of diets with a capital D. Mm-hmm. And that's just not what I argue this is about. I think I say in the book that paleo is about a vast body of information that continues to grow. It's yeah. the intersection of science and history and common sense. And I get it. If somebody is looking at paleo as a historical reenactment, you know, like what would ancient people do? Then, yeah, we, uh, it, that's a good point. People ate bread for many, 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 many years. But interestingly to me, it is not the same bread. It's mm-hmm. not the same stuff. A lot of ancient bread that you know has been discovered and used, I guess, as arguments against this paleo concept mm-hmm. was made from rhizomes, which are, that's not a grain at all. Right. So not just that, but we're also talking about modern wheat versus ancient grains, things that probably grew wild or were cultivated from where they could grow wild. Yeah. And it's just a totally different food supply, which is why I don't like to look at this as a historical reenactment because there are a ton of holes in that argument, which is fine because we've still got science, biology, you know, common sense (laughs) on our side. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And one of the big issues with that too is that we call things by the same name that are fundamentally different things now. So wheat, bread, sugar, pretty much any food stuff that we talk about now is fundamentally different than the stuff that our parents were talking about or their parents were even yes. talking about. And so it's completely different. Yeah, absolutely a fundamentally different thing. And it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so Allison just got back from Italy. And if we eat traditional American modern wheat, 
we just get wrecked. We still do it every once in a while, and we're just trashed. Yeah. Uh, you could you could feel it in your gut. You get super yes. puffy. Um, a lot of times, I'll, I'll break out or just like won't sleep that well. It's uh, yeah. it didn't used to be totally obvious to me, and now it's very obvious to me. Mm-hmm. But you go to to Italy or a lot of places that cook in a traditional way. Um, that are sourcing their ingredients from a different place, maybe in a, a more responsible way. And all of a sudden you can eat those biscuits and, and danishes or whatever. And it's just a little treat and you find that you're not trashed. There's something happening here when we eat American wheat that's not happening when we go to other places when they're following yeah. those traditions. And you talk about that in your book as well. Yeah. Um, what are some of the traditions that you are trying to bring back to at least your own way of living? Well, some of my favorites are fermenting and mm. properly preparing. So like soaking and sprouting seeds and nuts and yeah. and fermenting like your own kombucha. We've got kombucha going all the time and um, making your own sauerkraut, like just home making. And I'm a terrible cook. I'm bad <laughs> at everything kitchen related. So this is difficult for me, yeah. but actually just putting my own hands into the food that I'm eating. So like you were talking about, I have a friend who has a travel business and she lives in Italy, slice of Tuscany. And she said, all we have in Italy is organic. Like half the time, the food that you eat is actually, you know, grown and raised by the same person that's selling it to you, you know, and she's always going on these lovely trips through the country and they're making pizza in like these stone ovens. And then they take a walk after through the countryside. And I'm like, okay, So think of how we eat. And for most of my life when I was working in corporate, I would go to, you know, McDonald's for lunch, eat Mm -hmm. it in my car, whether it be a hamburger or a salad, whatever, eat it in my car and then run right back inside to to the office. So it's how we're eating and how we're producing our own food and, you know, preparing it and all of those things. And I think for a lot of people, that's almost a turning point when they Mm -hmm. start to cook their own food. They're like, okay, I'm starting to get where all of this, what I'm eating and how I'm eating it, how they're all connected, you know? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 And I remember uh, it, it's so cool to see that kind of like coming back because I think the pendulum yeah. is starting to swing. Things got crazy, right? Very, very complicated, very uh, unnatural uh, yes. in, in terms of food and the way that we're living. And we're just kind of starting to see that that pendulum start to swing back to simplicity, real food, uh, eating out of your backyard. And I remember when I first moved to Austin, coming up on six years ago, I was, uh, I'm a musician, so I was playing a show. And it was like a combined backyard, big party show. Everyone brought their own food. And there was this one guy there, this crazy old Austin guy. And he comes up to me and he is, he's holding this huge, beautiful salad. And he's just like, Hey man, this was alive 45 minutes ago. <laughs> he just pulled it all from his backyard and threw it in there. And I'm just like, dude, that's so cool. And we all sat around, we ate this salad and it was incredible, you know? And, and I, you know, having lived in DC and Manhattan for a while, you kind of, it's easy to lose sight of that if you're not kind of hanging with the right crowd, yes. right? Like it's, it's easy to have that if you're hanging out with a bunch of cooks or paleo people or whatever. But I think that's, uh, that's something to learn about all of this. It's tough to kind of take it upon yourself to make that leap. But if you, the more that you rub shoulders with the Rob Wolfs of the world and the other crazy paleo people or, or real food people, you, uh, you start to see that this is a way of living. This is not only like something that people are doing, but something that people are really thriving yes. uh, on. So and enjoying and having enjoying. fun. Enjoying, yeah, yeah, that's right. And you don't have to be a killer cook. 
you can just kind of like make this some scrambled true. eggs. Yep. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so true. You don't have to be a good I I was never a good cook and I am still not a good cook. Yeah. I have like burns all over. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many times like I've turned on the pressure cooker and forgot <laughs> it was on and that's bad. Don't do that. But I turn on the stove and it turns off and I, it's but it's not hard to chop up some butternut squash, toss yeah. it ghee and roast it for 45 minutes. Exactly. It's my favorite thing. I mean, you get those staple foods. There's a little bit of a learning curve, especially if you're like me and you came from pre-packaged, you know, microwave dinners. What was my breakfast? Fiber one, soy milk, and aspartame Ugh. sprinkled over the top. Oh, yeah. God, I but remember that. Fiber. I did that too. It's crazy. But there's a learning curve, but you get, you know, your favorites. And then my other favorite thing is going out and finding great restaurants mm-hmm. that are supporting local producers and cooking with really nourishing ingredients, good unprocessed oils. That's fun too. Yeah. And Austin has a great scene for that. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Too good in some ways. It's too all right. Good. You yes. just trip over <laughs> people who are talking about food all the time. I know. I think I probably ate at 24 Diner. In the two times I've been to Austin in my life, I think I've eaten there maybe six times, which yes. is just crazy. But it's so good. <laughs> Sweet potato hash at that place. Just uh, it's terrific. Like a punch in the face of pure delicious. Now, there was a, there's a concept that you brought up in your book. And I, I don't even know if I'm saying this right, because I hadn't even seen that word used that way before. But thoughtful omnivorism. Is that... <laughs> Can you explain that for us? Uh, I I think I made a lot of I made up a lot of words in that book. I like it. I'm going to I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> um yeah, so thoughtful omnivorism. It's just thinking about where your food comes from, how yeah. it was created and produced and what it's giving back to the soil. So grass-fed cows literally what they are giving back to the soil, fertilizer. The, and the doo-doo dance, is that what you called yeah, it? Yeah, I, I think I called it, I know I called them meadow muffins. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure, but yeah, the, there's, a, there's a biological, you know, we learn about the food web when we're little and this organism eats this organism and on around. And we have kind of as humans excused ourselves from the, the food chain, from the food web. and. Right. And that has not led us to a good place. We are sicker than ever. We're less happy than ever. And we are less connected with our food. So this whole idea is where did that food come from? Where can I get better food than what I have been eating and hopefully keep you know things at a, at a pretty affordable level? It's mm-hmm. just thinking about where food comes from. And I don't want people to feel like that's a burden or a bummer. It's actually really, really awesome and really fun. And a ton of people like you and, you know, friends of ours are doing this and blogging about it to make it easier for other people. So it's an amazing time right now. Yeah, it is. And blogging about our foibles. I think that that's one of the one of the best parts of all of this. Right. Because I think there is also it's really interesting. I can't remember what the stat is, but it's like the average American watches like 29 minutes of people cooking a day. (laughs) But like nobody cooks. Um, so true. Yeah. And, and so you feel like you have to be this, you know, perfect cook, especially if you're cooking for other people or your family, uh, you yeah. know, with all of these reality or, or fake reality, you know, cooking yeah. shows or whatever, where they're bringing out these beautiful 
dishes because they went to yeah. school for this for years and learned how to do the photography and do the presentation and the rest of it. It's pretty it intimidating if you don't know how to cook at all and like you kind of want to get started. So I think it's important uh, and you're great at this. just talking about very honestly, like how much we screw up and how that's part yeah. of the process. It's okay. I'm it's terrible at it. I'm terrible at it, but it's fun. I mean, it's fine. Every, yeah. You just have to start somewhere and keep going. Yeah. <laughs> like podcasting. You're terrible yeah. at the beginning. <laughs> you were terrible. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, I was terrible. And that's that's part of the process. Just kind of like embrace yeah. the suck and then get yeah. the easy wins and <laughs> then move on. And uh, and then you start having a lot of fun once you kind of get in the rhythm, whether it's cooking or, or training in a new way, uh, you know, like training outside, mm -hmm. doing exercise outside as opposed to, you know, yeah just kind of being on the treadmill all the time and doing what a lot of other people are doing. So I, I really uh, appreciate the example that you set from the beginning and that you continue to set with, with the work that you do. So um, that's really cool. We're, I can't believe it, but yeah. we're almost out of time. I would love for you to just rant about one more thing before we go. I don't have any question prepared for you about that, but is, is there any rant that you've been saving up for us? <laughs> I just get, I just get a rant rant. That's awesome. Let's, let's shift the, friggin' conversation yeah. from away from weight loss at all costs, away from mm. whether caveman ate bread. Let's quit talking about all that stuff and let's just focus on real food, where it comes from and how it makes us feel. I really just think the more we paleo police each other about dumb stuff, like whether potatoes are paleo, whether we should or shouldn't eat raw dairy from grass-fed cows, all of these little tiny points that people get stuck on have absolutely nothing to do with health and wellness. That's yeah. just arguing for the sake of arguing. <laughs> Food is an amazing thing. And the fact that we have it in abundance is an amazing thing. So I swear, once we shift our focus to just real nourishing food and enjoying our lives and engaging in that natural process, we're actually going to find ourselves where we wanted to be, I think, in the first place, or yeah. at least we're going to find something much better than we ever expected when we were worried about all these silly things. Yeah. Amen. How about that? I love Amen. it. That's a good rant. Now, <laughs> Thanks. I realized I forgot about this. So you went to high school with Lewis House, who's a past guest of the show and also has a very popular, a very successful uh, podcast. Tell us what Lewis was like in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis in high school. I, I'm trying to think of what I can actually say and not get in trouble. No, Lewis. Was I think that great. might he answer was, the question. That that might be it. He was he was a great athlete. You know, basketball. I think football, and dated one of my best friends. And you know, we were always around each other. He's, sure. He was like my brother. So good guy. It's it's hilarious how the world sometimes comes full circle. Uh, I know, especially through podcasting of all things. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's crazy. But anyway, so um, why, why don't you tell Liz uh, where folks can find you and and uh, what you're, well, I guess about your book, but what you're working on next as well. Oh, geez. Next, I'm just trying to grow some plants. That's, okay. We're planting our garden. That's, <laughs> I'm, I'm really focusing on making a go of this homesteading thing. And cool. I will, I'll write about it. Absolutely. But you can find more information on Eat the Yolks, my book, um, at eattheyolks.com. We have a 20-page preview of the book up there, what it's all about. And also just a big resource page full of you know good stuff for folks to get started. If you're mm -hmm. not ready to buy the book, you can still check out the resource page. No big deal. 
I can be found, my blog, at realfoodliz.com. Now, that's new. Um, folks probably remember my blog as cavegirleats.com. I've since kind of shifted over to Real Food Liz, but both of those will redirect to the same place. Nice. So it's me. You'll see me right there holding my chicken, um, which is not a euphemism. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said you it, not me. me. Well, Liz, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is this is too much fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Fat Burning Man Show. If you'd like free fat burning tips, muscle building goodies, as well as a free ebook and video course, head on over to fatburningman.com and enter your best email and I'll shoot those right over to you. If you'd like to follow me on Facebook, I'm at facebook.com forward slash fatburningman. And on Twitter, my handle is fatburnman. Got some killer shows on the way, but in the meantime, be well, and I'll be talking to you guys soon. Cheers. Cheers.